Today here at Home Base, we are continuing in our series, Who I'll Be in 2023. And if you weren't here last week, you might think that we've got like a typo on the screen or we're not really sure about what year it is or maybe you're not sure about what year it is. But everyone's certain, guys, it's 2023. And what we're actually doing is we're diving into the idea and, and the reality that who you are a year from now will actually be determined by the decisions that you make this year. And last week we talked about how on one hand, the goals that we set, they are achievable by the active steps we take, right? We set a goal, we determine a process, we either follow through or don't follow through with that process to achieve or not achieve said goal. But in this series, we aren't really talking about achieving goals. That's great. That's fine. We're all about it. Uh, but we're actually talking about the declarations that we are establishing and making over our life. The word talks about literally speaking things that are not as though they were. And that sounds really great. It sounds really inspiring, but it actually requires a lot of radical faith from us to speak things that don't look or don't line up with our current situation, that our current reality does not come into agreement with. It requires some radical faith to, to say, God, I speak these things when maybe I don't feel or it doesn't look like what I am believing for. But that is exactly what these declarations are all about. They are about speaking things over our life that is only possible when God is given the invitation to intervene in our heart, to intervene in our life, to intervene in our minds, to intervene in our family, right? Things that will only be accomplished when God is present in the situation. Things that will only come to fruition when God is given the invitation to begin to shift the posture of our heart, to begin to shift the posture of our mind and our emotions. And so this morning and this week, our declaration is this time next year, I will be able to say that I allow God's truth to rule me, not my emotions. And that is a tough one. That is one that certainly only will become a reality when God is present in our life. Because while we may acknowledge, while we may, we may recognize the truth of a situation, we may know the thing that we need to do for the opposition that we come up against, we may know all these things, but so often it seems like it is our feelings, it is our, it is our emotions that are constantly vying to take control of our hearts, to take control of our obedience, to take control of the way we live in response to our feelings, to take control of the belief that we have is, is who God says he is. Is anyone there? Do you know about that questions that our feelings bring? And so to really step into this, this statement and to begin to speak this over our life, there's a few things that we have to see rightly. There's a few things that we have to set straight. And the first thing before we get into anything else, before we establish anything else, is seeing our emotions and feelings rightly. Because it's so important that we understand that the God of the universe who knit us together in our mother's womb created us with emotion. He created us with this innate ability to feel. Feel many things. Some of us more than others, right? But all of us are given this innate ability to feel. 
And if seen rightly and if held rightly, our emotions are and our feelings are actually an incredible tool to be utilized to say what's really going on deep down on the inside of me. What's going on underneath the surface, underneath the facade, under everything else that I show to everyone else? What's really going on? What's going on? And even maybe today you showed up and you look great, you're here, you all look wonderful, but deep down on the inside you're hurting. Deep down on on the inside you're you're full of doubts and you're full of questions. Deep down on the inside you're, you're anxious this morning. You're worried about all these things. Deep down on the inside you feel the weight of shame. Beneath what we can see from the outside, there are some things that you desperately need God to touch in your life today. And we all do. This is the reality. We all need God to touch the unseen places of our life. And the recognition of that starts with the acknowledgement of what you feel, of what you feel. Because your feelings actually act as a signal to the areas and the places in your life that need to be acknowledged and addressed within you. Our feelings are actually a symptom of the greater issues that are just beneath the surface, that are just beneath what we're willing to vocalize or, or admit. But I think many times our default response has sort of become one of two things, right? We, we kind of go from one extreme to the other, and I don't know where you're at on the spectrum this morning, but we sort of have two responses, and the first is that we deny, we suppress, we ignore all these feelings, which still breeds and gives way to destruction in our life. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we, we give way to all the feelings. We allow all the feelings, this is me guys, we allow all the feelings to roll and reign in our heart. We allow all the feelings to dictate our emotions and our thoughts and our beliefs about God, about ourselves, about people. All the feelings. And so no matter which side of the spectrum we're on, if we're not living from a place of, of viewing our emotions rightly, we will live defeated. And if we're not careful, we can begin to sit in and live out of this place of I feel, I, I feel. Letting what we feel begin to dictate our every decision, our every thought, our every belief. And what happens is so often we let our experience, right? Like this is my story, this is my experience. We let our experience, uh, which is an extension of our feeling, begin to define what is true. Yes, yeah, so we let our experience our story, what we've gone through, we let that become the defining factor of what we know as true. And it's not that we want to invalidate your experience or your story or or deny the reality of it, but if we live out of a place of broken experiences, we will live broken. If we live out of a place of, of hurt experiences, we will live hurt. If we live out of a place of disappointment, we will live disappoint, disappointed. But the truth is that we can acknowledge, we can say, yes, here is the reality of my experience without letting it become the foundation, without letting it become the identifying factor of who we are and who we believe God to be. For example, maybe it's coming to a place today where you can say, you know what? I experienced rejection. That's the truth. I I experienced rejection, 
but I am not rejected. I, I was bound by sin. I was bound by that thing, but it doesn't have the power to create my identity. I was bound by that sin, but it no longer has power over my life. I was hurt. I was deeply hurt, but hurt will not define me. Bitterness will not define me. I did not see a healthy version of this in my family growing up, but I will not use that as an excuse. Rather, I will allow God to teach me, and I will allow God to train me. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to let the feelings that are left over from broken experiences to define my story, to define what I believe about God, to define what I hope for. Because the truth is that we can acknowledge our feelings. We can acknowledge your experience. You can acknowledge your story without letting it rule you. We can acknowledge it but not let it dictate our decisions. We can acknowledge it but not let it become our only grasp on reality. And so to pivot from a place of living in this I feel mentality of letting our emotions rule us to allowing God's truth to rule us, to allowing God's truth to define us, to allowing God's truth to guide us, we, we also have to ask, what is this truth? Right? What is this truth that I can hold on to with all these emotions and with all these feelings and with all these experiences that seem more true than anything else? Because we live in a culture, we live in a society, we live in a world where truth has become interchangeable, right? Where it's your truth and it's my truth, but where we treat, when we treat and handle truth as something interchangeable, it invalidates its ability to be truth at all. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't share their story, people shouldn't share their struggle, but the fact is that truth, ultimately truth, is not interchangeable. The very quality that makes truth what it is, is that it is unchangeable. It is unmovable. It's, it cannot be interchanged with anything else. And in an internal world of our feelings and our emotions and our experiences as they are ever-changing, we need something that is sure. We need something that is steadfast. We need something that is unchanging. And when we're hit with opposition from all sides, when you're not here on church on Sunday, when you're out in the world and all these things are coming against you, we need a truth that sustains us. And that's why I think in John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I am the way. I am the truth. Or in Hebrews 13, when we're told that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Or when in Malachi 13, when God says, I am the Lord God and I do not change. It's in all these instances that, that God is trying to get us to the understanding, hey, I am the truth. I am the same. I am unchanging. And when the reality is, the reality is that our truth, our feelings don't have the power to set us free. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. You shall know the truth. You shall know me and I shall set you free. He is the truth in every feeling Every emotion, every part of our story, every uh, desire that is apart from him will not bring freedom. Does not have the power to free us. 
So sure, we, we can have a truth, we can have a story, but if it is not the truth, then it cannot set you free. If it's not the truth, then it doesn't have the power to save you. It doesn't have the power to redeem you. Our feelings may seem to be what is most true, but it has to stop being the truth that drives our behavior, the truth that drives our decisions, the truth that drives our beliefs. Yes, we can acknowledge this is what I have been through. This is my struggle. This is what feels real to me, but that will not be the thing that sets us free. It's not that we are trying to deny our struggle or our story, but rather it is a choice of submission. It's a choice to submit. To say, yes, God, I feel these desires. I feel these affections that don't line up with what's best for my life, but I choose to submit them to the greater affection that I have for Christ. Yes, I I may feel fear. I may not want to step into what God has called me to do, but I acknowledge that you chose me before I was born. That you create, maybe you're a mother and you're saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. You, You have to stand in the truth that God, before I was born, that you knew these children would be mine. That you knew this family would be mine. That that as a husband, that this would be your family. And so God, I I step out of fear. I step out of what I feel. And I say, God, you created me for this moment. You created me for this calling and denying what we feel. And what would happen if we started to, to face the reality of these difficult emotions and these difficult feelings, if we learn to respond by saying, yes, I feel, but even more so, what do I know? Because what you feel won't keep you. What you think won't sustain you. But today as we look at the word, we're asking ourselves the question, but what do I know? What do I know? And you know when you're going like through some stuff, you kind of want to talk to someone who's, who's like been through some stuff. And I think people are so well-meaning. I think sometimes we do it ourselves. But we're like, oh, my gosh, I've been there. And, like, they haven't. Right? And, and we want someone who has been there. Right? It's like, it's like I catch myself because I have friends that are moms, and I, I love the moms. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I totally get it. And I'm like, oh, wait, I totally don't get it. I'm not a mom. Right? And so people, we're so well-meaning. We're so well-meaning. But, but like, when you're really going through it, like, you want to talk to someone who's actually been there. Like, when you're going through loss, you want to talk to someone who's lost someone. When, when you're going through the hardest moment of your life, you, you want to talk to someone who says, hey, I've been there, and this I know on the other side, right? And so it, it's, for me, for me, it's Paul. For me, it's the way that we get to see Paul's life up close and personal. I love looking at Paul's life. Anyone else love Paul? He's great. He, y'all, he keeps it real. He says the most savage things and then just moves on. But anyways, I love Paul. Um, I love looking at his life because Paul endured some stuff. Like, like Paul went through it. He went through like some ever-changing circumstances. He, he was thrown in prison. He had his salvation doubted by those who knew of his past, which, as you know, he had a pretty rough past. He's out here killing people. And so, and yet in so much of Paul's writing, we see this little phrase. And if we're going too fast or we're just trying to get through it, we might might miss it. But this phrase is so good. Um, It holds so much weight. Paul doesn't say, I think. Paul doesn't say, I feel. Paul doesn't say, I desire. But continually, Paul says, I know. This, I know. 
Paul's life breathes of this consistent hope and belief that in the midst of his many feelings and many circumstances that would try to believe him uh, to that would try to get him to believe otherwise. We see this firsthand in Hebrews 6, verses 19, if you want to look there on the screen. Paul writes, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Another translation says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And he says that there is indeed a hope that is like an anchor for the soul, that is like an anchor for our mind, that is like an anchor for our thoughts, it's like an anchor for our feelings, this anchor for our emotions and and everything that comes our way that is both sure and steadfast. So I'm saying I need this anchor for my soul. And he uses the image of an anchor here to represent the hope we have. And in Paul's time, you know, it's not really like the modern anchors that we have. The anchors back then were more like a basket. And in this basket, they would put rocks, and they would put stones, and they would put things that had some weight to them, right? And so when he's talking about an anchor here, he's talking about there's some weight that I put in this basket that's keeping me sure and steadfast. This anchor carries some weight to keep us steady in the storms of life. And that is what this anchor represents, that there has got to be some weight in our basket. There's got to be some weight to our anchor that when the storms of life come, that when our feelings come, that when our emotions come, that we have something that will keep us sure and steadfast. When we're faced with these experiences that cause us to question, what do I really know? Because it is not the things that we feel that will keep us steady. It is the things that we know that will keep us, that give weight to our salvation. And so often, we're not sure of the things we know. We're we're really not so sure. So when the storms of life come, we have an anchorless weight. We have a a weightless anchor. That's what I meant. But, but when you have some I knows, like in your basket, like your anchor is held down by like just a few things that you know, you will stay sure instead fast. You have what Paul describes here as an anchor for the soul. Paul says repeatedly in his writings, he doesn't say I feel, he, he doesn't say I think, he doesn't say I desire. Paul says repeatedly, I know. In Philippians 1.19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 8, he says, And we know that all things that if he's in prison writing this, that even this, that even this worst moment, that even my, my worst experiences, that my hardest feelings, that the worst parts of my story, that all these things I know will work together for the good of those who love God according to those, uh, to those who are called according to his purposes. And so the question is, what are our I knows? Like you and I today, what are the things that we can say we know. The second half of of Hebrews 6.19, it says, referring to this hope that we have that's like an anchor for our soul, it says that it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. It continues, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. 
And in the Old Testament, when we're told of the inner sanctuary, we find the Ark of the Covenant. And there are three things in the Ark of the Covenant. There is Aaron's rod, there is the stone tablets, and there is a bowl of manna. And it says that Jesus has already gone in there for us, meaning that because Jesus entered on our behalf, we have access to these three things. We have access to these three sure foundational I knows because of what Jesus has done. And they might not stir up our emotion, and they might not sound like much, but these three I knows will keep you steady when all else is uncertain, when all else is coming against you. These three things will be like an anchor that is sure. And the first I know is that I know Jesus is enough. It doesn't sound fancy. It doesn't sound pretty, but it is a radical truth when we get a hold of it that Jesus, I know that Jesus is enough. And in the ark, it is Aaron's rod. And this, this item in the ark, it represents, um, in the Old Testament, Aaron was the priest. And so Aaron was the mediator between God and people. Like he would offer sacrifices for the people to, um, you know, get so they could have a relationship with God. But Aaron, he, he was only a foreshadowing of Jesus who became our, our once-for-all-time mediator, who is now our great high priest. Second Timothy uh, 2, sorry, 1 Timothy 2.15, 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, the priests would have to offer up sacrifices to atone for their sin and the sin of the people. But they would have to do this over and over again because they themselves were not sinless. And so it was this never-ending, continual process. But when Jesus came, he became the once-for-all-time, perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice. He didn't have to repeat this over and over again because he did not have to atone for his own sin, for he was sinless. And in sacrificing himself, Jesus reconciled us to God. And it cannot be overstated the value and, and, and the importance of when we get a fresh revelation of what this means for our life, of what this has given us access to. That every feeling of lack, every feeling of despair, every, every feeling of searching is silenced under the reality that Jesus is enough that he is the prize, that he is the reward, that Jesus has, what Jesus has accomplished is enough. Roman 5 says this, and maybe you've heard it before, but let it sink into your heart today. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, therefore, since we, you and I, sinful people, have been made right in the sight of a holy and blameless God, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, stand, where we now stand before God, like in the presence of a holy God that we could stand before him that we could stand where we now stand and where we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And in verse 10 it says, for since our friendship with God, 
Our friendship with a holy, worthy God has been restored by the death of his son, by what Jesus did while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Like if this doesn't move our heart, that we could be friends of God, that we could stand before a holy God in all of our unrighteousness and all of our unworthiness and stand before him. I don't know what, I don't know what will get us in. It's not that maybe, maybe your heart feels numb today or maybe I've been there, but just start asking God, give me a new revelation of what Christ has made accessible for me. Give me a new revelation to see God rightly, to see Jesus rightly and all that he's done for me. Because this is the powerful reality that you and I get to stand on. But often we have bought into the lie. We have rested our hope on what we get from God rather than God himself. Like what comes from God's hand versus just that we get to know God. But the truth is that not another thing is needed to be added to our salvation. For us to rest in the assurance that I know Jesus is enough. That my hope is not from what comes from his hand, but from knowing him. That you and I get to know him. Jesus is enough. I know Jesus is enough. And the second I know that we get to stand on that gives weight to our salvation, that is like an anchor for our soul against every feeling, against every emotion, against every desire that's not of him, against everything else that's uncertain, is that I know his word is true. Also found in the ark, the second item, it was the tablets of stone. And this represents now what we have access to as God's word. His word that illuminates, his word that exposes every feeling, every belief, every lie that is opposed to his truth. Here's what Paul says about the word to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Read along with me here, it's a bit long, but it says, but you, so, so Paul is um, Timothy's mentor, right? And, and he's writing to him because he's seen all that God has done in Paul's life. And he's like, I don't want you to lose what you have been given access to. And he says, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been given, you have been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom, the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong with our lives. Super fun, but great. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And you guys know how, like, there's just some mirrors that you don't like to look into, right? You'll, you'll know the ones I'm talking about. It's those super obnoxious magnifying mirrors. Y'all know, I don't personally own one. I never would, but they're in the hotels, right? And so you're getting ready. You're looking, you're like, okay, I look pretty good. feel pretty good. But then you just get like a little glimpse, just like a, just like a little glimpse into that horrible magnifying mirror. And it's like, where did all that come from? Where did all those lines come from? Like what, what I thought I looked pretty good, but I don't, I'm not really sure now. It's like, okay, I didn't know that was there because it magnifies everything we couldn't see when we weren't looking close enough. Well, the word is a lot like looking into one of those 
hotel magnifying mirrors that we hate to look into because it's not just meant to make us feel good. It's not just meant to make us feel like, you know, I, I got it together, right? It's meant to give us a closer look at what's really there, right? At what's really going on in the heart, at what's really happening beneath our pride, what, what's really happening beneath the facade and, and the surface that we let people see in the areas that we don't want to look at. And 2 Timothy says that it is successful in making us realize what's wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we're needed, when it's needed, and it teaches us to do what's right. Thank God for it. But when it, become, when it comes to our, our feelings and our emotions, we don't like looking in certain mirrors that reveal too much. And in doing so, in being so eager... And being so eager to not have to see what's really going on, we, we miss the opportunity to invite God into the areas that he could heal. We, we miss uh, the, the opportunity to invite God into the places that have remained hidden. We, 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 we miss God being able to refine the feelings that are no longer profitable for our life. And yet the irony is that in avoiding looking at the word, we inevitably begin to look at the world to tell us who we are, to teach us what is true, to, to teach us how to handle all of our desires and all of our feelings, right? Because there's only two options. If you aren't looking at the word, you are inevitably looking at the world. If you aren't looking at Jesus, you will be turned away from him because when you set your eyes on Jesus, you have to be fully fixed on him. When you set your eyes on Jesus, there is no other reality than to be fully in awe of him. So if I'm not looking at him directly, then I'm not looking at him at all. And I begin looking to the world. I, be, I begin looking to everything that is opposed to Jesus, that everything that is opposed to holiness, that everything that is opposed to righteousness. And so in turning our face from him, because we haven't prioritized the word or because we aren't feeling worthy enough or, or, or when we just aren't interested, we, we end up running the other direction. We run to social media. We run to other opinions. We run to other voices. We run to every other version of what is truth. And in this attempt to avoid seeing who we really are and who Christ has really created us to be, we find ourselves looking to the world that does just that. That reminds us, the world reminds us of our need and the work you have to do to fulfill it. Instead of submitting ourselves to the word that, yes, it does reveal our need, but instead it reminds us of the work that Jesus has already done to fulfill it. While every other mirror reveals what you lack and, and it leaves you there, while every other mirror lacks the ability to change us, while every other thing only magnifies our issues, only, only makes us more aware of what we are not, the word reveals and yet never intends to leave us there. The, the word intends to teach us. The word intends to guide us. The word intends to refine in us all the things that Christ wants to refine in us. The word intends to strengthen you when you're down. The word intends to to create you uh, holy and blameless before God. It intends to say, here's what you are not and the reality that you don't have to be because Jesus already is. He, he already is. And growing up, I have three siblings, but my uh, younger sister, she's, she's much younger than us. She's a big surprise. And so I grew up going to school with my two brothers that were pretty close in age. And every day our, our dad would drive us to school. 
rightfully so, as we were children who could not drive. And so he would drive us to school, and, you know, every day my dad, my dad would pray. And, and my dad, he's not perfect, none of us are, but every day he did this. He would pray for, for our day at school, whether we had a test or we had, you know, whatever was going on for that day. But no matter what, my dad would always end the prayer one way. He, he would always say this. He would say, I declare that you are the leader and not the follower. I declare that you are above only and not beneath. I declare that you are the head and not the tail. I declare that you are blessed coming in and going out. I declare that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and a, lo- and, and a sound mind. And I can tell you so many times, me and my brothers, we, we would laugh because it was like, here he goes, right? Same thing every day. Sometimes we would say it with him. But I can tell you on the day that my dad was no longer driving us to school and my older brother took charge, we're driving to school and my brother's like, you know, maybe we should pray because <laughs> dad would always pray. And so he began praying, you know, for our day. God gives us the first good day at school, you know, helps us to make it through. But just like clockwork, <laughs> the end of the prayer, can I tell you what me and my brother said? Can I tell you that, that in like unison, like we were a choir, we said, you know what? I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. I am the head and not the follower. I, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Can I tell you that when you speak the word, when you read the word, it might not seem like much now, but when it's needed most, you will remember it. When I would walk into school and I dealt with a lot of anxiety and fear, I would remember, okay, God, you have not given me a spirit of fear. This fear is not from you. You have given me a spirit of a power and a sound mind. When, when we would face temptation or, or people that didn't think like we did or maybe was trying, they were doing their own thing in life, I would remember, oh, I am, I am a leader and not a follower. I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. Because when you need the word most, if you have recited, if you've, if you've read it, it's going to be there when you need it. It's going to be there when you need it. If you will read the word, if you will start to get deep, it will start to get deep inside of you. And you'll start to believe what it says. Sometimes we read it and it's just because like, okay, God, maybe you're not a big reader. But, but you say, okay, God, I'm just going to read. Every day, I'm, I'm just going to read just a little bit. Every day, I'm just going to commit myself or maybe, you know, don't go like full on. Maybe like every other day, right? Every other day, I'm going to read your word. And at first, it might just be like, okay, I'm doing this and this is really hard. And maybe you miss a day. Don't let that shame stop you. Don't be like, oh, beat myself up. Okay, I'm getting back on. I'm reading it again. And maybe at first, you're, you're just reading it. You're, you're just doing it because you maybe you feel like you have to. But I can promise you that eventually that word will get inside of you. Uh, eventually that word will be the thing you need when maybe you didn't need it when you were reading it. Maybe like when you listen to a message, you're like, okay. But, but I listen to the truth because I may not need it now, but I will need it in the future. And so we, when we read the word, it begins to get inside of us. And the truth is, when we are in the Word submitting every feeling, every emotion, every desire that's not from Him uh, to His authority, we begin to find truth that replaces every lie. Because a lot of times we're listening to lies, but we don't actually know what's the truth that replaces it. And so when we get in the Word, when it becomes the narrative that leads us, when it becomes, when it begins to, when we begin to actually believe what it, that it's true, when our spirit is reminded of what it says in spite of our feeling, in spite of our emotion, uh, it's powerful. And Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man, so he does not lie. 
He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Have he, has he ever promised and not carried it through? And this is so good because often we have placed the human likeness on the image of God. We have taken our experiences and assumed that the nature of God is like the people who have disappointed us. We assume that the nature of God is like the people who have let us down. We assume that the nature of God is like the, the human characteristics that we know. But this says God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should have to repent. That means he can't sin against you. That means he can't lie. That means he can't break his word. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? That means that every word, every promise, every word from the mouth of God we can trust is true. That when everything else is uncertain, that if everything else fades away, when my feelings are trying to speak louder than truth, that I can trust that it is not what I feel that is most true, but it is his word that's true. And when we allow it to get deep down on the inside of us so that when the lies come and the fears come knocking and and trials of every kind come knocking, we can say, in spite of what I feel, I know this to be true. I know this to be true, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I know that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and my mind and my emotions, that my steps are ordered by God, that God is going before me, that I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed coming out, that God has gone before me and that he's making a way where there seems to be no way. I believe it when the word says that when we declare things over our life that's found in God's word, it's like a double-edged sword that cuts through everything that's not of God, that he will uphold us with his righteous right hand, that he will keep in perfect peace all whose minds are stayed on him, that I can come to him weary and heavy laden, that he gives us rest, that his grace is sufficient for me, and that his power is perfected in my weakness. I I know that it's true that he himself bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. I know that by his wounds I've been healed. I know that the Lord will fight for me. I need only be still. I know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I know it because I know his word is true. I know his word is true. I know that when I pass through the waters, he will be there. I know that when I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. That I am disciplined, that Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. That I am anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. That your words, your thoughts, your imaginations are under the power of Christ. That you don't have to have a fear or anxiety, but that we trust in the Lord with all our heart. That we have the wisdom of the Lord concerning every decision that we make. That we are strong and mighty and that we do not have to be afraid. That we are not our past, we are not our mistakes, we are not our decisions. Because he says that I am redeemed. He says that I am free. I know it because his word says it. I know that it's true because he said it. And every one of those promises are for your life today. Every single one of them. And just quickly, the last I know, and the band can come up, is that I know, I know that God is faithful. I know that God is faithful. The final item in the Ark of the Covenant was the bowl of manna. And this bowl of manna represents and and signifies what had been done before. His provision and his hand and his protection and his guidance. And there's something so powerful, something so steadying to any current chaos, something so efficient in reminding our souls of what God has done. Because when the feeling of doubt comes in, 
we have to remind our soul that he's been true. When the feeling of fear comes in, we have to remind ourselves that he's always been near. When the feeling of, of, of desire comes in from things that are not of him, I need to remind myself that he has always satisfied, that he has always been enough. Time and time again, we see that God reminds his people, the Israelites, hey, I am your God who took you out of Egypt. He says this over and over again, I am your God who rescued you out of Egypt. He's teaching them to constantly keep at the forefront of their heart all that he has done, all that he's been, all, all the times he came through that he, he was near, that he, to remind them of his kindness, to remind them of his grace, of his ever consistency to them, that he has and always will remain faithful. Not that the waters won't come, not that the doubt won't come, not that the fear won't come or, or the feelings or desires, but that in them he will be present. That we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And before, before the, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul part, we discover what this hope is. And I just want to end by reading this to you. What is this hope we have? What is this hope that is weighty enough to be an anchor for our very soul? It says in Hebrew, this is the hope that we have, that God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the hope we have. This is the future assurance we have. Would you just stand this morning?